I used to be a runner. Uh, I wish that I could say that sentence without having to use the past tense, but that's the honest truth is that I used to be a runner. Uh, there will come a day when I'll be able to use the present tense uh, in the future, eventually. I trust, I hope. <laughs> but I used to be a good runner, actually. I ran uh, in high school for Mead, which if you grew up in this state might mean something to you. If you didn't, it might not. But we, were, we had a really uh, amazing team during the season that I was there. Um, state champions in cross country a decade for a decade straight, and I was kind of in the middle of that. And my first race on varsity was early on in my junior year. I'd been getting better, and uh, we had a meet coming up actually in Gig Harbor, just down south of here. And I had done well enough in the previous race to where I was on varsity. And this was an interesting race in that they split the varsity teams, or varsity up into two. So you had uh, the slow varsity team, which was what I was on, and then the fast varsity team. I was not on that. Now, Mead, uh, cross-country was cool at Mead. We had 100 guys turn out for cross-country. And so we had seven on varsity and 93 on JV. And so it, we, when we went to races, it was like, an, I mean, multiple buses. It was a big thing. So we had this race at Gig Harbor. And I'm all of a sudden experiencing the benefits of altitude training, though I didn't know that that's what I was doing in Spokane. And all, I'm, I'm feeling really good. And I'm up at the front. And all of a sudden, kind of other people start falling away. And it ends up about a half mile to go with me and this guy from Curtis High School. And I, I have no idea what I'm doing at the front of a race. And I'm just right on his shoulder. And we come around a bend. And maybe it's now a quarter mile to go. And there is my team. 93 JV guys, the other four varsity guys, coaches, parents, it's a mob. And they're like, what is Mark doing up there? And this is awesome. And they start yelling at me, right? They start cheering for me, encouraging me, pushing me forward. And my body is filled with so much adrenaline and joy and giddiness that the guy from Curtis steps on wet grass and slips. <laughs> and I would like to think that I could have beat him in a dead sprint, but we'll never know, because <laughs> I went on to win, and uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a, we have a picture. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at two things in this picture. One, my excellent form, and two, my excellent hair. <laughs> and I, I, I found this picture, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm going so fast, I'm running out of the frame, except I'm running out of the wrong side of the frame. <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of the slow side of the frame. There you go. I'm 90% sure that this is actually that race in, uh, in Gig Harbor. There you go. Proof. Um, but the encouragement that I received from my team at that moment, I mean, it was really it was like a quarter mile to go, just filled me up uh, and helped me to, well, to beat the guy that fell down. <laughs> um, sport. The sport of running uh, is essentially like feeling like you should stop and then choosing to not stop. That's what running is. And I, I love running. I know we've got some runners in our, our congregation here. But when you're in a race and you receive that encouragement, when you receive that, that, the, the boost of people urging you on, um, there's nothing like it. Uh, that's, that's one of the, the powers of, of sport, I think, is when we receive that encouragement. There's, it, it, it has a physical effect on us. It's powerful. Um, and I, it, it serves, I think, as a metaphor for much of life. Uh, and the need that we have for encouragement. Encouragement's a theme in the passage we're going to look at today from 1 Thessalonians. And I, I've, I've been reflecting on what it is like to be encouraged. 
What do we experience when someone comes along and encourages us? And I, there, there's two, two experiences kind of wrapped up in encouragement that actually are reflected in, uh, in the definition of the word. And uh, as we look at the, the Greek word that Paul uses, um, both aspects of what I'm going to share are, are reflected in ways that this word can be translated. So it's not just my own subjective experience, but it, it bears true. That when I'm encouraged, I have the sensation of being embraced, loved, welcome, known. I, I know that I'm safe. There's an embrace that happens. But I'm also spurred on, right? I'm, incur- I'm, I'm exhorted to keep going. Um, the, the, the ways that I think of it in terms of a physical action are, are an embrace, like a hug, and then also a swift kick in the rear. Like that's, that's what it's like to be encouraged, to be embraced, and to be urged on. So Paul is writing to this early church that is in need of encouragement. And he connects, as we'll see, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, these two central events to the life of Christ, to the ways in which this church, and I think we, need to be encouraged, the ways that we need to be embraced, and the ways that we need to be spurred on to keep going when we feel like we want to stop to keep persevering even when it's difficult. So let's read from 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles. It'll be on the screen too. Chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul goes on then in chapter 5 to talk about how we're not really to concern ourselves all that much about the particulars of how this is going to happen, right? Like, we don't know the time or the exact way that this is going to happen. Um, But instead, we ought to be concerned with how we're living today. And we're to be people of the day. And then he wraps up that other section, or this next section, with a very similar phrase here. He died for us. Jesus died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are living or dead, we may live together, live together with him. Therefore, again, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Lord, we need to be encouraged. We need it from you. We need it from each other. We need that embrace. And we need that holy swift kick in the rear. So Lord, speak to your people this morning. 
that we might hear the particular word of encouragement that you have for each one of us. And that filled up with that, we might turn towards each other and encourage each other. Help us, Lord. Amen. So there is a question, there is a concern that Paul's addressing here to the church, right? When we read these letters that Paul's writing, there's always kind of a little bit of a backstory that we don't get, right? We get the the one-way communication from Paul to the church, but usually there's like some question or some issue or some concern that he has that he's addressing. Or maybe even that church has written him a letter asking him some questions and he's responding. So we always have to do a little bit of work to suss out what what's kind of prompting Paul to to say this. And so it's clear that there's a concern here in the church about people who have been a part of the church, who have been following Jesus, but who have died. There was kind of this understanding that, well, when Jesus said he was going to come back, we thought it was going to be like next week. (laughs) We thought it was going to be pretty soon, but it's been a while now, and and now people are starting to die. Uh, What's what's happening with them? Like, There's a, a deep worry, a deep concern there. And Paul responds by saying, it's not that we don't grieve, we grieve, but we don't grieve in the way that the world grieves. And the reason is because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, we have hope. All right? So, so he addresses their fear and their concern. He acknowledges its legitimacy, but he, he comes back to this very brief statement of faith. Like It's, it's almost the most succinct statement of truth that we could make in the Christian faith, that Jesus died and rose again. He says, we believe this. And because we believe this, we who are followers of Jesus are following Jesus in his death and resurrection. And therefore, we have a reason to hope. And there's an acknowledgement here, too, that, okay, your, your concern, your stated concern is about these other people who have died before Jesus returns, but there's also probably a little bit of your own fear of death mixed in here, right? Like, it's not just about them. It's about you, too. What's going to happen when you die before Jesus comes back? You don't have to to worry. You don't have to fear that. Because we follow one who has gone before us into death and who has come out in resurrection and new life. Then he moves on and uh, and talks about the, the hope that we have in that, Uh, which ultimately is summarized in the statement, we will be with the Lord. This is the most, uh, there's there's some really beautiful, succinct statements in here, right? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's about as basic and core as you can get to the Christian faith. As far as our hope, we will be with the Lord forever. We can speculate all we want about what heaven will be like and the particulars, what will be there, what won't be there. How will it be similar to this world? How will it be different? Uh, But the primary truth of what waits us after death is that we will be with the Lord. The fundamental reality of heaven is the relationship that we have with Jesus our Lord and the presence that we will experience, not the, 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 the closeness and the intimacy that we'll experience there. So Paul acknowledges their their worry, their concern about those who have died before Christ returns. He says, remember what we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. And because of that, we have hope that one day we all will be together with the Lord. And then he gives them a little practical application. Turn to each other, he says, and encourage each other with this message. 
encourage each other with these words. You and I may not share that same fear that the church in Thessalonica did, or at least not in the same exact way. Um, Maybe that's a concern that weighs on some of us. What happens to those who die before Christ returns? My guess is that we have other ways that our fear of death manifests itself. Maybe it's uh, things even sort of tangential to death. Maybe it's more illness um, or or, or fear of um, lack of resources, right? Uh, Money. This is an expensive city to live in. Uh, Maybe there's relational challenges. The point is, is that we all come in every Sunday morning here. We wake up every morning and we have these things that weigh on us. We have these anxieties, these worries, these concerns. And so part of, part of the process for us every day uh, is just identifying those, right? Acknowledging them, confessing them to God. Not trying to gloss over them, right? Not saying like, oh, no, no, we're not going to grieve over that. We, no, no, we grieve, but we, we grieve differently from the world. So simply identifying where it is that you feel you need encouragement, where it is that you come with a worry or a fear or an anxiety this morning. And then, and we do this every Sunday at some level, we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. That at its core, Jesus died for you. And was raised to new life in the resurrection. This death and resurrection uh, becomes for us a pattern for our lives. Right? We are followers of Jesus, so we follow Jesus who has died and rose again. So we can have reasonable confidence that we too, we, we know we're going to die. <laughs> That's the given. But we know that it's not going to end at death. That we face a new life after death. So this pattern of death and resurrection is, is a, a pattern kind of at the meta level for our lives. But it's also the pattern for our daily lives. It's also the pattern for our, the moments of our lives. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up his cross daily, right? So this pattern of death and resurrection is also feeding and fueling and informing the little moments of our lives, the relationship that we have with our spouse, the way that we work, the way that we love our neighbors. Uh, Annie Dillard has a really great quote. Um, She's talking about how to become a good writer, but she says, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And I think this death and resurrection piece sort of works like that in reverse, where we know that the the grand meta-narrative of our lives is death and then resurrection. But also, that is true for our days, for our moments. So, this is meant to be a word of encouragement, right? And I think... Before we turn to each other and encourage each other, we have to receive it as an encouraging word. We have to receive the gospel as good news ourselves. Again, thinking back to that definition or or that description of encouragement as this embrace and then an an exhortation, encouraging, well, a swift kick in the rear. (laughs) Um, How do we experience that as we reflect on Jesus' death and resurrection. We've just gone through Holy Week. We've just celebrated Good Friday and Easter. So these events of Jesus' life are very fresh in our mind right now. 
As we look at Jesus' death and we see his arms stretched out wide on the cross, we experience the unconditional love, the loving embrace of God, that everything is forgiven, that he was willing to sacrifice everything out of love for us. We experience that embrace, that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Right? Paul writes that in Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the embrace, but there's also, in the hope of the resurrection, a get out there in the world, a live courageously, right? To to be encouraged, uh, there's a literal sense in which it means to be filled with courage. It takes courage, it takes bravery to live this kind of life. We wouldn't need encouragement if it just was really easy afterwards, right? (laughs) If everything just kind of fit into place and life was very smooth. We need encouragement because there are challenges, because life is, is hard. It's hard to raise kids in this world. It's hard to face singleness in this world as a follower of Christ. It's hard to do our work in a way that brings glory to God when people around us are taking all kinds of shortcuts. But Jesus' resurrection gives us courage to live in a way that honors him in all of these areas of our lives, our relationships, our work. So, having received this very simple statement of faith that Jesus died and rose again as good news, as encouragement for us, how do we then encourage each other? I hope that you experience encouragement when you come on a Sunday morning. I hope that you experience uh, the gospel as good news when we come to the table every week, that this just isn't something we do because we just do it, right? <laughs> but that, that this is something that helps us encounter Jesus as the one who died for us, who sacrificed his life for us, and who rose to new life and who is filling us with that resurrection power as we then head out into the world. So I hope you experience it when we come together as a community. But I think what's even more powerful are the the encounters that we have with each other throughout the week, the more intimate one-on-one small group encounters. We talk a lot about community. I mean, community is just a popular thing in general, right? Everybody, nobody, nobody would ever say, oh, community, that's bad. Nobody says that. <laughs> but there's a way in which Christian community is to be different, is to be distinct from the way that the world pursues community, which is largely around affinity, right? You, all, you, you share an affinity with other people around something, and so you gather in community around that. The Christian community says, no, the, the affinity has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He's the one thing that we gather around. And, uh, and the way that we do community is in this mutual encouragement, right? We, we've received God's embrace of us, his unconditional love, so we extend that to each other. This, this unconditional love of God, we have the ability to turn to our neighbors right here and extend that to them. But we also, as part of this encouragement, we're urging each other on, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds, right? That's one of the ways that we do that. I was reflecting on this and it, trying to think about times when I've experienced this kind of encouragement. And I think what I realized was happening 
is when I've been encouraged in my, in my Christian walk, in my, my faith, someone has identified in me evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Someone has taken the time to look at my life and said, I see the death and resurrection of Jesus at work in your life. I was thinking of examples of uh, someone who says, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with lust and pornography. And they reach out to some friends and they say, you know what? This, this needs to die. And, and rather than immediately coming up with a, a, you know, a six-step program to, to kind of eliminate that from your life, the first thing that we can say is, I see this as evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus in your life. This is something that needs to die, and Jesus wants it to die. This is evidence that he's at work in your life. And, the, and if, if the death and resurrection of Jesus is the pattern for our lives as well as our days, then what's going to come out of this death is new life. What's going to come out of this death is a restored, wholesome sexuality, a right way of relating to other people. I've had the chance to, to sit in conversation with a number of you who uh, have, have been expressing angst at, at, at broken relationships or at um, relationships that are struggling, like a father who's trying to connect with his son. And to be able to say, I don't have any technique for you, but what, this is what I see. I see God's desire at work in your heart right there. That's evidence to me of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the death of, uh, of a way of relating to your son where you want to control him, and it's the resurrection of a new way of relating to your son where you want to see him flourish. You want to see him come alive in Christ. right? Or a, a strained family relationship, a sister who uh, there's struggle with, there's conflict. And, and before, yeah, yeah, you know, before any wisdom is given, before any practical steps are given, there's an identification of, that's evidence that the Spirit is at work in you. That's evidence of death and resurrection being worked out in your life. The death to your need to be right. And instead, uh, a resurrection of a desire for connection, for reconciliation. So maybe, maybe a hope for us, or maybe it's a challenge, is to think about what are the relationships that we have where we can be doing that, where we can be identifying in each other's lives evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I know that when I've experienced that, it has, it, it has impacted me in the way that a team of 100 guys cheering for me <laughs> impacted me. You, you feel in your body and in your soul, the, the difference that that makes. The hope that that gives you. So that's my challenge to us and to me. To be the kind of community where we can be doing that, where we can be identifying that death and resurrection of Christ in each other's lives. And I think we'll see as we do that, uh, the difference that that makes. When we start to believe that Actually, that is at work in my life. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. And it takes each other calling that out, encouraging each other, right, to see that. We're going to come to the table this morning, as we do every morning, or every Sunday. And we, we come and we bring our 
fears and our anxieties, our worries, our struggles. We, we don't magically leave those at the door. Like, we come with those to the table. And we experience, I mean, Randy's uh, famous for saying this, right? We experience God's hugs, God's embrace. But what we also experience is that swift kick in the rear that fills us up with the Spirit's energy and the Spirit's life to go out into the world, to go out into our work, to live this kind of death and resurrection life that Jesus calls us to.